when my wife and I uh, first started dating, and it might have been our first or our second date, I went to one of our mutual friends, a young man named Jason Taylor, and I asked Jason to put together a mixtape. Now, some of y'all have no idea what a mixtape is, uh, but he did, and he put on that mixtape, I'm sure, some wonderful songs uh, that uh, uh, were uh, uh, crooning about love. Uh, Love is a common theme, and you don't have to be a church-going person uh, to know that love is something that we desperately want and need. Every human heart is desperate for love. But the question then is, how do we get it? And then how do we give it? Uh, my friend put together this mixtape, and I picked up Edie, and, and we went to eat or something. And then I took her to the church um, parking lot where uh, I put in that uh, cassette tape, and those songs began to play, and I asked her to dance, and she said no. Uh, <laughs> It was uncomfortable for her, and, and, uh, but, but as, as those songs played, I'm sure that they talked about the, the, the quest in every human heart to find and to know love. Um, as we reflect on Valentine's Day, and you know, it's once every few years that Valentine's Day falls on a Sunday, I, I think it's important for us to understand that love is a universal need, and love is supremely answered by God. In fact, I would contend, even though every person desires to know love, only those who have a relationship with God through Christ really experience the truest of true loves. Uh, Again, this is played out in the songs and the lyrics of of, uh, of, of our youth and our lives. Uh, I could have picked almost any generation, but I thought I would stick with the one with which I'm most familiar, the 80s. In the lyrics of the 80s, the quest for love is very clear. Uh, just picking some of the hair bands that went and played, there were questions that were asked among those hair bands. Uh, Foreigner said, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. That's a universal. We want to know what love is. We want someone to show us. Uh, Van Halen uh, said, how can I tell this is love? Now, that's a great question. How do we know if it's love? Um, Some of us have fallen in love and experienced heartbreak, and in those heartbreaking moments, we sing along with the Jay Giles band, Love Stinks. (laughs) And then we come back and we experience love once again, and, and we begin to question ourselves along with White Snake, is this love that I'm feeling? And then we hear someone sing the lyrics that Rick Astley made so popular, saying, I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to run around and desert you. I'm never going to make you cry. I'm never going to say goodbye. I'm never going to tell a lie and hurt you. And we feel comfortable in that love. Um, 
until there's another breakup and we get a little obsessed with our ex and we become creepy like the police when they sing every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'm going to be watching you. Honestly, I tried to find lyrics from 2020 on the great love songs, and the truth is I couldn't repeat them in public. Oh, the times have changed. They're talking about something, but it ain't love. Today, that's not true of all the songs. I'm sure there are songs out there. One, a guy named Sam Smith, who is far from God, uh, he uh, sang a song, and and he talks about uh, watching people walk around in the sunshine, drinking lemonade on a Sunday, uh, how they would uh, have such joy together. And then he speaks about a lonely, his lonely shadow on the sidewalk. And then he makes this haunting statement, I just want someone I'd die for. You know, we, we know that love is something that is a need. But the question is, how do you know it? How do you receive it? And then how do you show it? That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, you see, I, I contend that uh, 1 John chapter 3, beginning of verse 10 all the way to verse 16, tell, talks to us about love, yes, but it talks to us about the love that God gives those who follow after Jesus and uh, how that those who follow after Jesus then share that love with others. So much so that he's talking to us about the command to love. As followers of Jesus, can I humbly suggest that loving others is not an option. It's not a good suggestion. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. You also love one another. It's this way that people are going to know that you're my followers. When the lawyer came up and asked Jesus, what's the greatest of all commandments? He said, uh, the greatest of all commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, like unto it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is not an option for followers of Jesus. It's a command. It's an imperative. God's love for us commands us to love others. We see this in this passage. When we begin in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, remember what we looked at last week. When John declares, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. He's talking about this great out of this world kind of love, a love that pours out of the heart of God that sends Jesus on a rescue mission to die for sinners like you and me, a love that takes us at our worst, in our sin, separated from him, and yet dies on a cross taking the punishment that my sin's debt demanded, where Jesus died for me so that I might find forgiveness through faith in him. And in that moment when I look upon Jesus and the cross, 
when I see his death as payment for my sin, his resurrection as an opportunity for new life, when I imagine that magnificent love and I come and I say, yes, Lord God, I need forgiveness. I desperately long to be forgiven. Yes, I want to be in your family. I don't want to be distanced from you any longer. And by faith, I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're the only hope that I have. I can't find love or life apart from you. And in that moment of repentance and turning from my sin and turning away from myself and trusting in Jesus as the only hope that I have in this life, in that moment, God rescues us and he pours his love inside of us. The love that we desperately long to know comes from God's heart. It's a love that soaks our soul and nourishes us from the inside out. It is a a love that completes us fully and completely. It's a love that all the hair bands in the 80s desperately wanted to know, but they were so far from. It's a love that many who have gathered with us today desperately long to know, but it's just out of your reach. We want to know what love is, and God has shown us. Just take a moment and let's look at 1 John chapter 3 and and let's evaluate what God's love means to us and how we are to live in the light of of that love. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, we're going to read all the way to verse 15. It says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was, wick, the, was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Just want that one to rest on you a little bit. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. As we look at this passage today and as we see that God's love for us commands us to love others, I I want you to understand that loving others shows to whom we belong. Loving others shows whose family we're in. In verse 10, John says, you're either of God or you're of the devil. There's no third option. And by the way, that's true for every person in this room. You're either of God, you're either part of his family, or you're part of the devil's tribe. I know that sounds uh, exclusive and, and, and harsh, but friends, there's no middle ground. There's no purgatory that we can abide in in the shadowy uncertainty of do I belong to God or not. Either we belong to God or we don't. And the way we belong to God is not by how well we live, but rather it's by Jesus Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us 
that we should be called children of God. How are we called children of God? It's because Jesus died for our sin, and by faith we've trusted in him. And we enter into God's family, and it changes the way we live, and it changes the way we love. When we have been transformed by God's grace and brought into his family, the DNA that's written into our heart is obedience, practicing righteousness, verse 10, and love, which is one of his commands. We love others. And then he goes and he says, well, if you're going to be of God's family, you're going to practice righteousness, you're going to love others. And you're going to love others in a way that's different than the world loves. Now, that's where he brings up Cain in verses 12 through 14 and 15. The, the picture of Cain, you all know the story of Cain and Abel, don't you? I, when I was uh, a, a teenager... Uh, living in Dallas, my brother, older brother, and I would throw the Dallas Morning News. We would get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning and uh, go get our, our bundles of paper, and we'd take them to the garage. We'd fold those uh, papers, and then we'd stuff them into our bicycles, and we'd go, and we'd throw uh, the papers. And every morning, rain, sleet, sun, whatever, uh, we were throwing papers um, between 4 and 4.30 in the morning. Um, uh, here's the problem. When I, uh, when I wake up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning, I'm kind of happy. And I'm, I'm kind of cheery. I'm kind of chatty. Uh, I, I, and, and, and my brother Brett was not. He just was not. And so we would get up, and, and, and uh, the, the, the guy who dropped off the bundles of papers, he'd knock on my window, and I would open the shutters, and I'd wave, say, we're awake, and I'd get up, and, and I'd wake Brett up. Brett, time to get up. Brett, time to get up. And Brett was like, and, and then we would go, and, and we'd go get the bundles. We'd start folding the papers. And, and on this particular morning, uh, it was a little bit different because after we finished throwing the newspapers, we were going to get in the car with the rest of our family, and we were going to drive to Tennessee, from Dallas to Tennessee, uh, on vacation. And, and so mom and dad were awake. They were never awake when we were up, usually, but they were this morning. And, and, and uh, so we're out there folding papers, and I don't know how it began. Uh, I, probably me just chatting along and, and then maybe uh, trying to, uh, trying to uh, get Brett to smile. I would shoot a rubber band at him or or, or whatever, but eventually it, it turned into uh, I'm, I'm chatting along and Brett is growling along and, and, uh, and uh, uh, the shooting rubber bands at each other turns into throwing folded papers at each other, which then turned to throwing bundles of papers at each other, which then turned into a tussle. A tussle is not the right word. It was a fight and it was violent. It was a violent fight. And the reason I use the term violence is because when my dad, looking out his bathroom window, sees us, and he comes out into the garage, uh, he, what he finds is my brother Brett behind me pulling, that's when I had hair, he was pulling my hair so my head is jerked back, and, and I had his hand in my mouth biting down as hard as I could. Now, that followed pummeling and everything else, and, and all of a sudden, my dad bursts out into the garage, and he says, boys, y'all get in here, and, and he kicks us into the house uh, where we know we're going to be in trouble, and as we go into the house, the picture that I remember that is plastered in my mind, and my brother, too, I'm pretty sure, is my mom uh, 
who, who has seen this whole conflict between Brother Brett and Eric, uh, and she is running around the house doing this, Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel. <laughs> That's kind of the story of Cain and Abel. So here's the picture of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were brothers. And uh, Cain offered a sacrifice to God that was not accepted by God. It wasn't an, an acceptable sacrifice to God. Abel offered a sacrifice to God that was different. Um, his heart was different. And where Cain's sacrifice was rejected by God, Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. So Cain's response to God's pleasure in his brother Abel was jealousy that led to treachery that led to murder. Cain killed his brother because Abel was pleasing to God. So in verse 12, when John says, okay, don't love like this, it's a clear picture to us about how we shouldn't love. If, if loving others shows to whom we belong, to whose family belong, we belong, the type of love that we display also communicates the family to whom we belong. Cain belonged to the family of the wicked one. Now, we know this because he killed his brother. Now, you and I would say, well, we don't love like that. That's not how we relate to other people. As followers of Jesus, we don't relate to others in a way like Cain did to Abel. And yet, I would suggest that maybe, maybe we do. And call your attention to, uh, again to verse uh, 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. See, hate doesn't belong in the heart of those who have been rescued by God's grace. The command for us to love others is a command to get rid of hate. To get rid of that despising others which would define our life. This is what makes it so hard for some people to embrace the teaching of preachers and teachers from days gone by who supported and embraced slavery, defended it. That's what makes it hard. I'm going to be accused of being a woke pastor because I said that, but that's, that's the reality. How in the world can someone who has been rescued by God's grace think slavery is okay? How do you get to that place? See what? See the problem there? Where you demean another as property rather than seeing them as made in the image of God. Now, you and I aren't dealing with slavery right now, but how we respond to people who despise us especially, that, that's, where, that, that's where John says, hey, hey, listen, don't be surprised that the world hates you. You're of a different family. But how do we respond when hatred becomes 
Hatred toward us becomes a common theme. We love in return. Do you realize that the command to love is not the command to love only those who are loving us, but the command to love is to love those, even those who despise us? If you doubt that, then I encourage you to turn over to Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to look at verses 43 through 45. These are the words of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. And these words he tells us to help us understand what love in the family of God is supposed to look like. Okay? Listen to what he said. Jesus You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let's just stop there for a second. We're okay with that one. Uh, Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. That, That sounds okay. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. What? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. The love that we receive from God, the love that satisfies our soul and soaks deep inside of us to give us life instead of death, give us hope instead of despair, give us forgiveness instead of condemnation, that love that has changed our life must also shape how we love others. So when we hear that God's love for us commands us to love others, it is of a particular type of love. It is not the kind of love that causes another to sing, love stinks. But rather, it's the kind of love that Jesus teaches us, that Jesus shows us. As we look at what love is and the kind of love that we are to have for others. Understand love, loving others is not a suggestion. It's not an option for followers of Jesus. It is an imperative. It's a command. But if we're not to love the way Cain did, if we're not to love the way that seems natural in us sometimes, How are we to love? We are to love others the way Jesus has loved us. Look at verses 16 and following. By this we know love. By this we know love. In answer to foreigners' question, I want to know what love is, God says, all right, I'll tell you. I'll show you. By this we know love because Jesus laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love 
in word or in tongue, but let us love in deed and in truth. God has given us the definition, the description of love, and His name is Jesus. What is the soul-satisfying, life-shaping love that we've received from God the Father? It is that Jesus gave His life for us and that He intercedes for us as our high priest every day from here to heaven. That He is our advocate before the Father. Jesus shows us how to love one another. The command that God's love gives us means that we must sacrifice for others the way Jesus sacrificed for us. He laid down His life for us. Hey, listen. Sacrifice is the opposite of selfish. Selfish is easy. Sacrifice is hard. Selfish is easy if you're married if you're dating, if you're the son of a daughter, uh, the son of a father or mother or daughter of a mother or father or the father of a son or a daughter, in our relationship, selfishness is easy. Sacrifice is hard. The command of God's love is sacrifice, not selfishness. The command of God's love in your marriage is for you, in your marriage, to sacrifice for the sake of your spouse, to sacrifice, to bless them. Sacrifice is hard. It's hard uh, for uh, a young mother who's taking care of toddlers uh, all day long, and and, uh, then a husband uh, comes home from work and says, very first thing, not how you doing, what's your day like, let me have Bessie and I'll take, hold, take care of her. No, the very first thing the husband says is, what's for dinner? If you're young in your marriage, cut that out. I, it, 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 it's hard for a young mother to respond with sacrifice rather than selfishness. It's hard uh, for us to look at someone that has been ugly to us and respond with forgiveness, with grace. It's a lot easier for us to defend ourselves or to punch them in the nose or to bite their hand off or to pull their hair. That's easy. Sacrifice is where we extend grace, where we forgive. That's hard. God's love commands us to love others, and that means we sacrifice in order to bless them. After all, Jesus died on a cross for us, and He set the model for how we're to love one another. If you want some passages to write down beside verse 16, can I give you a couple? Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus declares... The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve, to give His life a ransom for many. Here is the picture of the love that Jesus displays. This is the model that we are to emulate. Not to be served, but to serve. To lay down our lives, to go all in 
sacrificially for the blessing of the object of our love. It's what I imagine uh, teachers doing every single day that they go to the classroom or have to do stuff online or do it by hybrid. They go all in, sacrificing their time and their energy and the discomfort of, of all the COVID stuff. They pour themselves out just for the blessing of the children or the young people in their classroom. And they do it every single day, and there's not a break from that. And even when, especially if you're teaching middle school, even when those students are particularly ungrateful, it can be hard, I'm sure. But as followers of Jesus, that's when we love the greatest, when the sacrifice becomes clear. When I think about sacrifice, I think about my family. My wife and my children have sacrificed so much. They've, uh, more than any book I've ever read, more than any theology I've ever studied, more than any Greek or Hebrew that I've ever parsed, what's taught me more about sacrificial love than any of those things is how that God has used my family, my wife in particular, and my children as well, to paint the picture of sacrificial love for me. One picture that comes to my mind was almost two decades ago. Uh, well, yeah, about two decades ago. It was a season in our life as a family. We had three or four children at that time, three or four, I'm not sure which, probably four. And um, I was trying to help us make ends meet by preaching at different camps and, and uh, preaching revivals. And so that meant during the summer especially I was gone more than normal. And we were in that stretch where I was uh, away significant amount of time. And I was not very happy about it. I was kind of sad. And, and I think everybody kind of picked up on my sadness so much so that one of my daughter's uh, came up to me while I was packing my bag. And, and as she walked into my room, she had her blankie, her silky, on her shoulder. Now, this silky, this blankie, wasn't a small thing. It was a big thing. This silky was one of the most important treasures that that daughter ever had. And she wouldn't go anywhere without the silky. She wouldn't go to bed without the silky. She wouldn't do anything without that silky. It was her treasured possession. It was her comfort. But she saw how sad her daddy was. And she walked in my room as I'm packing my bag, and she looks up at me with those big eyes, and she stretches out her little blanket, and she says, Here, Daddy, take this with you. Maybe it'll make you feel better. That's sacrifice. That's love. We do that as grown-ups and we do it as children, but we must do it the way Jesus has done it for us. We pour ourselves out sacrificially just to bless the other. We sacrifice for others the way Jesus has sacrificed for us. And the second thing we see in this passage is that we <clears throat> open our hearts to help others the way Jesus has helped us. And Jesus has helped us in ways that 
We won't fully know until we get to heaven and see the receipts. And Jesus helps us today. He helped us escape uh, the, the shell of our, the cell of our shame and the pain of our sin, the guilt that destined us for hell. Uh, he helped us escape and be rescued through His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. But He continues to help us. By His grace and mercy, He stands for us before the throne of God as our advocate. He provides the mercy and the grace that we need to help us every single day from here to heaven. And Jesus helps us, and he keeps on helping us. So when John says that, uh, poses the question, if we see somebody in need, but we shut up our heart and don't help them, how does the love of God abide in us? That question should haunt us. Now, we can rationalize all day long how that we can't help everybody that we see. But really? We see someone in need, and and automatically we begin to find loopholes in why we shouldn't help them. Immediately we begin to, well, you know, they're probably running a scam, or they're playing a system, or they're uh, not really in need, or they probably got more money than I do, but here they are, they, they act like they need help, and, 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 and here are all the reasons why I shouldn't help them, but Really? That's not our business. Our business is not to evaluate the legitimacy of their need. Our business is when we see a need, we meet that need as much as we can in the moment that we can. That's why he says love in not, not just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, love does doesn't just talk a good game. It actually walks the walk. One of the greatest ways that we as a church can apply this message today, I mean today, if you go on our website, you go to firstnorfolk.org slash serve. you're going to see how that we as a church are collecting uh, uh, food items, non-perish, uh, non-perishable items, and different things to help distribute through the month of March to our community, to help those who are in need. And all we have to do is bring jars of peanut butter to help people in need. Don't let this talk about love just rest in your ears and not move us to action. But rather, let's do all that we can to help those who are in need in our community. Anything less is just talking. It's not walking. Today, let's let our lip and life coincide. What we profess to be uh, the reality actually be the reality. Let's love others the way Jesus has loved us. There's no way for me to bring home the picture of love any better than talk a little bit about my wife. You know, when I say that I've learned more about God's love given and received 
for my family, I really mean it. See, my wife has loved me in ways that I can't even fathom. She is the God-sent lover of my soul. She's seen me at my absolute worst, and she's forgiven me. She's seen me in my absolute ugliest, and she's covered it with grace. Year after year, day after day, she's opened her heart to me, even at times when I didn't deserve it. Since the day we got married, Edie has been the hand that has held my hand in my loneliest moments. She's been the arms that have held me in a hug when I'm hurting. She's been the voice of truth when I've gone my own way. I thank God for my wife because God sent her especially to love me the way Jesus has loved her. And that's the way it should be. From me to her, from me to you, and from me to them. Loving others, it's not an option. It's not a good suggestion. It's a command. So let's live the way the gospel has shaped us. And let's love others the way Jesus has loved us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word strikes to the very core of who we are. And that it speaks to us about where we're going right and where we're going wrong. I pray today that according to your good pleasure that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive this glorious love that you've given us through Christ. But not only that, for those of us who have been transformed by that love, that forgiving love, that gracious love, may we in turn have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive how that we should, must, love others the way you have loved us. Now as we worship you in these next few moments, be glorified as we respond in obedience to your call. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.